We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis, James Fegan, and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, February 15th, 2024. In this podcast episode, James Fegan will join us from White Sox camp down in Arizona to share his insights, speaking with the White Sox executives, coaches, and players. Then Jim Margulis will join me as we typically hand out our offseason grades to the White Sox front office when spring training starts. It's a tough task this time around because Dylan Cease is still with the White Sox and Chris Getz keeps adding players. Pedro Grafal kicked off camp meeting with the media, really emphasizing the importance of first week in spring training. Talked about this morning, um, trying to look for some margins, trying to um, uh, attack, find and attack margins, right? And I let them know that these five days are uh, extremely, extremely important, especially uh, to our success and what we're trying to do. And that's why they got to come in here five days early. It's not just to throw bullpens and get ready. You know, it's about making sure that we. Um, we execute those those fundamentals on those backfields and uh, and really get good at you know what I think are margins, which is PFPs. Uh, these are things that we have to clean up as an organization, um, and I wanted attention to detail. And you know it was a really good day uh, for that. Uh, the second thing is you got, these guys came in really prepared, man. Um, I was really happy with the reports that we got from our trainers. Um, you know, from the physicals, from their strength, from the strength and conditioning this morning, um, these guys are came in really strong and, and understand that there's uh, competition here, uh, which is a great thing for anyone in, individually and as an organization. Uh, and these guys are, are prepared to uh, to do so. Um, I really enjoyed the bullpens. I uh, won't get into them individually, but um, you know, Maldonado and Stassi, uh, you know. Just looking over there and hearing these guys' conversations with pitchers uh, were excellent. Of course, Grafal said something similar last year, and that team lost 101 games, which Grafal is trying his hardest to convince that he and the team has turned the page from 2023. 
As a matter of fact, I know nobody in that clubhouse is talking about last year. Um, I haven't heard one one comment made from 2023. And if I do, that's where the that's where it ends. Um, we, we've turned the page, and uh, we're looking forward to having these these positional players here. Uh, work out those four days and get ready for some Cactus League League games. One area the team Grafal still likes is the catching position. Not only adding veterans in Martin Maldonado and Max Stassi, but the quality of catching throughout the minor leagues. I think I mentioned mentioned this to Getty yesterday. This is my 33rd, 33rd professional season, right? I've yet to see a roster with seven catchers of this potential, you know, of this caliber. Um, you know, we have from 12-year veterans to, you know, guys that we feel are going to impact the game for a long, long time. Um, we got guys, young guys with major league experience that have that have faced some adversity in the major leagues. Um, it, it's a really good core, and him and Max are, are leading this core. And you know, I'm I'm excited to watch these guys play. These guys can really play, can really can really defend. There's a lot of roster churn and new faces coming into White Sox camp. The bullpen is going to look a lot different in 2024 for the White Sox, and Grafal shared his hopes for those new veteran additions. To bring in a couple of more guys with uh, experience that have had success at this level, um, it's really interesting. You know, we have, you know, Knable's been a guy that knows what it feels like at the end of games and has had really, you know, really, really good success back there and is comfortable back there. And the same thing with Leone. Um, not as much as Canable as far as the ninth is concerned, but he's pitching leverage a ton of times. And he's got some familiarity with Banny. You know, so, I mean, you're talking about those two guys and, you know, and, and, and Jesse Chavez who threw a bullpen today. And, um, you know, if you watch him, you know, execute his 25, 30 pitches, you know why he's been in the game for 17 years, right? So... I mean, we're talking about young guys that are really, really excited, uh, mixed in with with guys that have been there, done it, and played for some from playoff teams and some championship teams. And you know, we're you know we're excited to put it all together. Back to the roster churn with so many new players vying for spots in the opening day team. Is this a good thing for the White Sox and Grafal? First of all, I'm loving it. You know, um, I'm loving every minute of it. These guys are hungry. Um, everybody got something to play for. Uh, as an individual, we got something to play for as an organization. Um, there's a hell of a lot of competition. They know it. They're aware of it. Uh, we know it. Uh, we've done. Our, we did our homework acquiring these guys. We we've done our homework on what what we want this team to look like. Um, not so much personnel-wise, but what we want it to look like on the field. You know how we want it to play. You know how we want it to act like. So. Um, this is an exciting, an exciting time for us. One of the new faces in camp is starting pitcher Eric Fetty, which the Chicago White Sox outbid the New York Mets during the winter meetings for a two-year deal valued at $15 million. Fetty talked about what he did to get back on track after being DFA'd in 2022 and helped him excel in the KBO last year. In 2022, was uh, non-tendered and kind of you know, wake-up call of got to change things. So we moved out to Scottsdale and then... Uh, you know, went to a, I found a facility um, through Sean Doolittle, who um, you know, recommended push out here in, in Scottsdale or there in Tempe. Sorry, but um, yeah, just kind of getting myself figured out and kind of really focusing on pitch development. So went there and just kind of 
showed them what I was struggling with, which was a very inconsistent changeup, and then I needed kind of a breaking ball that was a put-away pitch, just couldn't get really the swing and miss, and then so uh, just started developing from there, and uh, you know, luckily had a lot of success with it, and uh, got what I was looking for. Helping us get those sound bites from spring training, and joining us now is the Sox Machine beat reporter from camp down in Arizona, it's James Vegan. And hello, James. I, I love how on Sox Machine, the early comments about spring training coverage is asking you if you got another Dodge Ram at the car rental shop. Can you provide an update if you got a Dodge Ram? I got a very reasonable Kia Soul. Uh, <laughs> I got offered to like upgrade, but it wasn't to a, a Ram. And also, um, I don't think the uh, Sox Machine beat reporter project is yet at the impromptu car rental upgrade stage. <laughs> Maybe one day when we're uh, all wearing like we're rich dressing like rich Texas oil men and wearing 10 gallon hats, but uh, <laughs> we're not there yet. Well, I'm curious, what, what did they offer in an upgrade? Uh, they were just trying to like sell me on the idea like, oh, you can do it to a full size for such and such price, which I don't even know what it means. Just another row of cars. But they always phrase it like, oh, you're going to be here 10 days. It's a lot of time to be like in a small car. Like people are just losing their minds after like a week of being stuck in a, you know, a Toyota Prius is the, the premise of this. I don't, I don't know why it's just like suddenly <laughs> a very convincing argument at the rental car counter when it costs you hundreds of dollars to, to shift from what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, but they tried it. And uh, and they failed. Uh, so, well, I'm glad. It, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get the Dodge Ram. Maybe next year. And for those listening, you can go to patreon.com slash socks machine and help out with James's car rental budget. I like seeing the road, but okay. <laughs> Let's talk about what you are hearing so far at camp. And it starts with Pedro Grafal. And he really wants to turn the page from 2023, James. And I think you asked a really good question about the player's ability to turn the page from last season. And we heard a similar tone and focus last year, especially like from Tim Anderson during camp, about everyone trying to pull on the same rope here and try to be more positive going to 2023. And it seemed that the issues from 2022 multiplied last year. So how feasible is it for Grafal to convince everyone from outside of the clubhouse that the team is truly prepared to turn the page and pretend last year didn't happen? Um, I mean, one, he can't. <laughs> I literally talked to a player at length about last year, right before he had, like, we did that. So, which is why I kind of asked the question of, like, um, how, how do you know that the players have turned the page? But, uh, I, I mean, I don't think you can just, uh, like, delete your experiences from last season, and I don't even think that'd be productive. I would say that they've cleared out a lot of people from last year uh, or made them redundant or made them in a situation where they kind of have to produce a lot better than last year or they'll be replaced. And it seems like that's the kind of galvanizing force that every player um, is latching onto more readily of like, Hey, we got to, we got to produce or we won't be here next season, or maybe they won't make it till June. So it's, it's very much a more of a feel of like, you know, the type of, type of things that the you know members of the dirty dozen said before they like flew out on their mission to Germany, then, uh, you know, a, a turn the page or, you know, last year didn't happen. I mean, I get it from his perspective a lot because we were talking about last season as being just like, well, this didn't work. What are you going to do next? Or what do you learn from this? Uh, you know, last July when they were setting up the deadline and the last two months, especially with the lack of really like 
you know, prospect talent. It wasn't like, it was a lot of just like triple a filler coming in rather than people you legitimately thought have a chance to like carve out uh, a space next season, even with some of the, you know, trade deadline acquisitions, like even giving Corey Lee extended run that didn't turn into like Corey Lee's your starting catcher. Now he's pretty much blocked from, from making the team. Last year really didn't have much purpose other than revisiting or recriminating or talking about last year. So I see why he like wants to like put this limit and this cap on like how much we just kind of talk about that. Uh, but I, I don't think it's something where like the players are just never going to speak of last year or have this kind of same absolutist thing. I mean, Andrew Benintendi wants to have a better year and, you know, shake off being unhealthy all of last year. I don't think he's just like, you know, I wasn't focused. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, I think there's more physical reasons for him. I, I think we're going to talk to Eloy about last year and what he's learned from his video that he's going to be able to add loft to the swing. Luis Roberts trying to build off last year. I just don't think that there's this absolutist last year focus uh, didn't happen. That's that's going to take hold. I, I think it's more that they want to move on narratively uh, from it. But uh, a lot of guys, you know, last year shapes how they're going to go forward in their careers of, of what they think a good clubhouse is and what happens when it's not there. So I, I, I don't think of the same, uh, Clear turning the page is really feasible in some respects. So while Grafal, not a big fan of talking about last year, especially questions of how and what did he learn from last year? He does not like those questions based on listening to the sound bites. The other topic that he's not thrilled about answering, and I don't know if irritated is the correct way to describe on how he sounds, But when reporters ask him about Dylan Cease, he kind of shuts them down and says, hey, I talked about this at the Boys and Girls Club. I've moved on. It is what it is. Cease is here. He's our opening day starter until he's not. Dylan Cease spoke to you guys at camp, and I think he understands the situation that he's in, James. And you spoke with Chris Getz today on Thursday that even with the news coming out of Baltimore that their starting pitcher, Kyle Bradish, has a UCL sprain. And there's some concerns that he may need Tommy John now. The Orioles still haven't called the White Sox about Cease. Do you think the trade talks become a distraction for Cease and the White Sox as they prepare for opening day during spring training? On the one hand, like, yeah, it's hard to really, you know, this whole let's shock the world or use the Dakota projection as motivation rallying cry. I don't know how it maintains, like, when they say they're within five, six games uh, of the division race because it's really as as mucked up and ugly as it was last year. And I don't think that should change them from trading Cease at like the deadline. And how, how, how does the how does the same rallying cry like fit when you, you trade your ace, you trade your best pitcher, you trade your open day starter? I, I, I think it can be, or you know, maybe that happens in spring if, if Baltimore just simply calls gets later in the day. I, on one hand, I, I think that's a challenge to it, but if, if there's anyone who's, if there's anyone who I believe when he says he's not talking about something or not thinking about something that much, or, you know, really seems like they can just operate in his own world and, and not, not be concerned about worldly things. Dylan Cease is the one I believe uh, that that dude is really just doing his own thing and not, he's not this ball of anxiety that, uh, you know, there's some players that I really connect with um, because I feel similar to them in a ways. And I see how they're constantly criticizing themselves and constantly worrying about the next thing. Uh, as much as friendly and Dylan, and I, as relationship is, it's, it's not because our brains work similarly. It's he's, he's very much <laughs> in, in his own place. And I, I don't, I don't, if he has a, a difficult season, I don't see this being the, the cause of it. So if he's during a bullpen session, 
and he sees Chris gets walking towards him and waves him down and gets says, Dylan, it's been a pleasure, man. You got to pack your bags and you got to join Orioles spring training camp. You just think that'll just like roll off his back and be like, okay. And just drop the baseball and back up and leave. Uh, for the most part, one, I don't think he'll see him until like Chris, like physically walks into the path of his bullpen <laughs> session to like good point. Stop him from throwing anymore. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he'd, he, he would, I mean, this is a guy who was traded when he is still in a ball. This was somebody who, you know, blew out when he was still in high school. He's kind of had these, you know, traumatic, big life changing experiences that baseball can offer you. That can be a surprise to some guys when, um, you know, maybe they don't get there. They're with the team that drafted them for the first eight, nine years of their career. I, I think Dylan's already been through that and it's just, it's it's a personality that's really just oh okay that's what's happening all right and then moves on like it's not a he, he's never moved around like he has the weight of the world on his shoulders which is why he's almost surprised that you know talking to him after the 2020 playoff start that he acknowledged that adrenaline and the, the crowd feeling was as big of a factor as it was because that's probably the only time I've really heard to him talking that way about you know. If anything, you know, he's he's trying to match the intensity and trying to get him hype. He, he's someone who kind of works his way into games. You see his velocity tick up over the first couple of innings. He, he's not someone who operates on adrenaline that often. So I, I, I think he's probably the ideal guy to go through something like this. Now, with this much roster churn for the White Sox, there's quite a bit of key battles in camp. There's the right field situation. But I want to ask you about on the pitching side, on the starting pitching and the bullpen. The White Sox, they've signed a few starting pitchers. They're inviting to camp some starting pitchers. There's the whole Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet debate as well if they're still if they are still starting pitchers. And the White Sox, before spring training started and even after spring training has started, they have signed veteran relievers as non-roster invitees to compete for spots in the White Sox bullpen. So let's start on the starting pitching front. What are you hearing about how the White Sox are going to handle creating a five-man rotation? And is that the plan, is to create a five-man rotation? Or could they entertain the idea of going with a six-man rotation to start the season? I think it's, you know, being floated as consideration, but I imagine a a more likely scenario is you see, like if I had to peg it today, I'd say Cease, Fetty, Kopech, uh, Soroka, Flexen, and then you can have Tukey be a multi-inning long guy. You could have Garrett Crochet be a multi-inning long guy and kind of piece it together from there. Uh, I mean, I think Nestrini could, you know, set the world on fire in spring and they'd probably still default towards putting him in AAA and having him cook a little bit there uh, for a bit longer uh, unless there's a series of other circumstances or injuries that make it more of a situation where you're looking for really you know, we got to go to other options and, you know, let's let this guy who's been dominant cook. But I, 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 I see it more of going a traditional set and then keeping a couple guys who you can extend a bit more uh, on the roster naturally that you, especially in the sense of Toussaint, you can't really flex them out to the minors anyway. Um, I'd be surprised a little at this point if they really went to a six man. Got it. So on the bullpen side, my thinking was during the offseason, maybe the White Sox let some of the young relievers that they have in the upper minors pitch in the major leagues in 2024 and go trial by fire 
and see who sticks and who doesn't and just have constant churn and keep sending guys from Charlotte to Chicago throughout the season. But with all these non-roster invitees of these veteran relievers like Jesse Chavez, which I mentioned in a previous episode, I'm rooting for him to make the team. So I'm not older than every White Sox player on the roster. Uh, they even brought in Corey Knable, former closer, former all-star closer, but he's dealing or trying to recover from arm and shoulder injuries. With all these veterans in camp for relievers, is the idea that as they get closer, they're going to be added not only to the 40-man roster, the 26-man roster, and Chris Getz is trying to give Pedro Grafal the most veteran bullpen that he possibly can and not so many young guys? Um. I would think he definitely wants that option. Uh, I don't think he's going to make him carry like a Corey Knable if he's clearly not anywhere near pre-injury form, but there's definitely been an emphasis on adding some measure of experience um, that they can turn to because there's always room for Perlander Baroa or um, the likes of that to kind of make a mid-season debut. I, I, I don't think you have to, to force the hand of saying we need, we need to, you know, have this be a, you know, kind of a prospect clearinghouse. Um, or, you know, we need to see Jordan Leisure from, you know, the start of opening day. Uh, if anything, I think it's probably would be a big challenge to rush those guys, and especially in terms of the command they've shown um, recently to just be major league viable from the start. So as much as you kind of have to see what guys like Joe Barlow and, and Dominic Leon have, especially given their recent history, I think the, the leaning would probably be you don't want to, I mean, because all – non-roster invites have a standard opt-out clause at the end of the spring. Now, I, I think if you're showing you that they can be viable guys that you can groom to be assets by mid-season, you want to go with that. Whereas, you know, guys like Barrow and, and Leisure offer you a, a measure of time that you can use in AAA at the start of the year. Got it. And on the position player side, we'll learn more as everybody shows up to camp. Not everybody in the position player side. Is that correct? Not everybody has yet to make it to camp. I don't think you haven't seen Eloy or Luis Robert, right? Not Eloy, not Luis Robert. I have not seen Danny Mendick wearing the zero jersey yet, which is you know obviously something I'm greatly anticipating. But it's I would say probably sixty percent of the position side is already in camp. Guys like Andrew Vaughn, Ben Attendee, um are already there. Uh, in addition to Nikki Lopez, and um, I always get close to naming a catcher as a position player, and then realizing that they pitchers need someone to throw to, but it, it's, it's a very healthy amount of position players already there. Um, a lot of them because they already live in the area. So one of those new faces joining the White Sox and I get a chuckle because uh, the White Sox made this announcement on Twitter on Wednesday night at nine o'clock central time. Mike Moustakis is signed by the White Sox and according to USA Today's Bob Nightingale, if he makes the team, it's a $2 million contract with an additional $2 million in incentives Jim Margulis wrote about Moustakis on Sox Machine about the path for him making the 26-man roster as possible depth at both third base and first base, which could spell trouble for Gavin Sheets. Is that what you are hearing at Camp James about the White Sox plans for Mike Moustakis? Is this just simply to add depth to the team, or are there greater aspirations of bringing in somebody like Mike Moustakis? Greater aspirations as far as what? Like... He's going to be a starting. He's going to be in our lineup. We're hoping to get a hundred games out of him or more. He's going to be a key pay. He's going to be a key cog to the 2024 White Sox. I think they view him at this point as kind of a bench bat. They they really said like as far as pegging him to a position, 
uh, gets really said, like literally said, like, let's see where his offense is. And that will kind of dictate it from there. They said he's played from third, he's played some first, but they want to see if his bat is viable to be a contributor. They're not saying this is our new DH or this is a someone threatening or squeezing Moncada for playing time. It's really like to hit right-handed pitching. Okay. Last year, that's something they've been deficient in for, for years on end. This is another candidate for somebody who could potentially provide that service alongside sheets, alongside Deloach, alongside Fletcher. With sheets then, like, is he in trouble of, of making the 26-man roster now when you have somebody like Moustakis on the team and the fact that the White Sox have added a couple right fielders? It, I get where Jim is coming from in his recent column on Sox Machine. Like, Gavin Sheets better ball out in spring training or he's going to be in Charlotte to start the season. I mean, I would think he's in trouble. He had a sub-500 OPS in the second half last year. He... Yeah, that yeah. I, yeah, and he clearly moved out of Grafol's rotation as far as regular playing time, much to his chagrin and much that he felt like was something that hampered his rhythm and being able to get a feel in the batter's box. And some of that is sure, if you wanted the best Gavin Sheets, it, it, it seemed like they moved away to other options pretty quickly last year, and maybe that didn't feel entirely fair. But certainly where the position where his performance to put himself now, that's kind of got to be the life that he has to get used to, where he's someone who they can trust to be a contributor on short notice. That's, that's kind of gotta be the way he, it, you know, his existence lives a little bit, at least to start this year until he proves otherwise. But I think with his performance and especially with Fletcher uh, and Deloach really situated to take over the right-handed uh, at bats, um, especially pushing Eloy even more to, to designate hitter. I already thought that the, the things were stacked up against them. The fact that they brought in Misakis, I think either even further cements, that they're willing to, you know, explore reality where he doesn't crack the roster um, because he didn't play uh, well enough to really be somebody you carve out and stake out a roster spot for at the start of the season. And because he still has a remaining option, I, I think that's something we should be more prepared to, more than prepared to see uh, them employ. And then finally, John Morosi of MLB.com tweeted out early on Thursday that another former ex-Kansas City Royal, Whit Merrifield, is hoping to make his final decision where he'll play this upcoming weekend. So James is Whit Merrifield coming to White Sox camp. I don't know for sure. It's not like they're, uh, it's certainly not like they're too stacked. It's not like Nikki Lopez is completely immovable um, in, in, in some way where, you know, how, how could they possibly make room for Whit Merrifield? I certainly haven't heard anything specific. And I think he's probably played at least decently enough last year where he could be an option for maybe teams with the more grand designs. Uh, than the White Sox, but if he I obviously wouldn't shock anyone if he came in. Obviously, they have uh, room for him on the roster, room for playing time to to you know the, the what they've established as their middle infield co- uh, combination is not airtight by any means. But uh, mostly, I don't know. I've been back on the job for like a week. I haven't heard anything, and the the White Sox spent today trying to justify the kind of uh, proliferation of Royals connections that they've been adding in recently saying they're they're using the connections they're using the inside knowledge they have if they have some personal insights of the player why would they not use it was basically gets his case and i think they'd probably make a similar case with merrifield if the opportunity arises where he'd be in their price range yup <laughs> the other gets under it sounds like through the river mill is philadelphia as the phillies may approach Whit merrifield about being a bench bat uh, the Phillies, of course, will be a contending team in 2024. I guess from a White Sox sales point, 
I could see them going with Nicky Lopez at short and Whit Merrifield at second, which would make Paul DeYoung that utility infielder role coming off the bench. It's not like the White Sox signed Paul DeYoung to a large amount coming into this season. And even though we penciled him in at shortstop, uh, DeYoung could help out at both that shortstop at third base uh, coming off the bench. I, I could see it, but I guess we'll know for sure over the weekend, White Sox fans, and we'll talk about where Whit Merrifield eventually signs on Monday's episode. But you could follow James on Twitter. He's at J.R. Fegan. If you are not already following following him on Twitter, he's been doing a great job reporting down at camp, posting pictures, also comments as well when he is speaking to both White Sox executives, coaches, and players. So again, follow him on Twitter and, of course, read his work on SoxMachine.com. James, thanks so much for joining the podcast and uh, continue to have fun in Arizona in your Kia Soul. Thanks. I'll, I'll try not to cough so vigorously while driving, uh, probably to, for the safety of all of us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast. So I exchanged James Fegan for Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, now joins the podcast. And in this segment, I think... I'm not going to say it's an arduous task, but it is an unclear task because with spring training starting, and this is now our 11th season podcasting together, Jim, this is typically when we grade and how the White Sox front office did with their offseason. And for 10 of those 11 podcasts, we've been grading Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams, but now this is Chris Getz. 
But here we are on February 15th. And the reason I say it's difficult because there's still like lingering questions. And the biggest one is that he didn't trade Dylan Cease. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to grade him because I don't want to be harsh and come off as overly critical in his first off season. But I do want to be realistic in the work that he has done. But I'm also unclear in what the White Sox objections were, objectives, I should say, uh, into this offseason, like what their big goals were. So for me, this has been kind of difficult and unclear. So if I had to ask you, like, what would be your thought process in trying to grade and how Chris Getz did this offseason? Yeah, I think you have to, or at least the way I'm going about it, is issue a grade as though it were a Rick Hahn offseason or a Kenny Williams offseason, just treat it as like, you know, it's a big boy job with expectations for, you know, a major sports enterprise. So you have to grade him strictly, harshly, however you want to call it, uh, to uphold the standards of the position. Uh, the one thing I think I would like keep in my back pocket is that there is... A little bit of, and I hate using this word, but like trying to change the culture. And we heard that so much that lost all meaning under Pedro Griffo last year. But it has to be done. Like just the way, you know, basically the, the previous White Sox administration hit dead ends, both in terms of the kind of talent they accumulated, the kind of insularity in their front office, uh, the way... Rick Hahn allowed himself to get handcuffed by Jerry Reinsdorf. I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf is a lot of the reasons why the rebuild didn't work, but part of the general manager's job is trying to mitigate that. And it's really seemed like with the Manny Machado thing that he really sold that as like a possibility. And then, you know, didn't realize that, Oh, uh, ownership wasn't serious about this and then had to backpedal and try to patch it up. And then it was just kind of scrambling after that to try to find contracts that ownership would approve it just caused so much buildup and acrimony and then all just kind of collapsed on itself once uh, they got off that awful start and everybody started looking for life rafts. So there does have to be like a cleansing or a purge of just like all the toxins from the last two years. So I can appreciate part of what Getz is trying to do. And there's a chance that although this you know assembly of talent doesn't look impressive. It could be greater than the sum of its parts, you know, and by that, I mean like low seventies win total, but just, you know, respectable baseball team, ordinary kind of bad, but satisfying in some ways that make you realize like, Oh, I, now you see a path forward. Uh, the roster isn't as bound as it was. Uh, you know, there, there's more open-mindedness with the front office. <laughs> Maybe Griffol's fired after the year. And there's finally like an official turning of the page. So that's kind of what I'm keeping in mind. It's like a grade with an asterisk almost, or like a grade with a, these terms are not absolute. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to go back and revise it based on like, oh, it did work. But it does seem like a needle he's trying to thread, and there's no proof that he can thread a needle yet by trying to uh, improve the team with intangibles versus talent, because we know that the White Sox stressed intangibles time and time and time and time and time again with guys they acquired, trying to sell them as like, you know, plus additions when they were not free agents the White Sox fans were hoping for. So uh, that's why I'm skeptical. But given like all the things that have gone wrong, there are a lot of things that can be addressed that have 
maybe not as much to do with the talent that's currently on the 26-man roster. Let's say you're right, and the team that Chris Getz has built does win like 71 games in 2024. That's a 10-win improvement for a first-time GM in their first year. I think you got to cutting salary. I think you got to take it, <laughs> right? Cutting payroll, <laughs> like cutting while cutting payroll, yeah, and, whatever it comes to, like fifty million dollars. And let's say that's the number one goal from his boss, Jerry Reinsdorf. That Chris, we cannot carry another hundred eighty plus million dollar payroll, or better worded, we will not be carrying a one hundred eighty million dollar mm-hmm. payroll. Not debating if they can or cannot, but. Do not. They do not want to. And their payroll on opening day, depending on which veteran, not roster, invitees get added to the team, is probably going to be around $140 million. So Chris Getz cut $40 million off of the player uh, player payroll from last year and assembling a team to get ready to play on opening day. This is still, this is still a pretty expensive team for how poor uh, talent, at least on paper, but that's because there are some large contracts on this team and like Andrew Benatendi and Yohan Makata combined going to make more than $41 million this year, mm-hmm. but just not carrying the weight. And maybe they can in 2024 and they play up to the level that many people are expecting. And that contributes to the White Sox wind improvement from last year. But like back to your point though, that you brought up on the culture side, do you think Chris Getz did enough to overhaul and do enough roster churn that there is going to be a difference in culture in 2024 than what we saw last year. I think it will be by default. I think the question I would have is, or I, I, I think the thought I would have, I don't know if I could phrase it in the form of a question. Okay. I'll phrase it in the form of a question. It will be different, but will it be better? Uh, because I think when you look mm. at all of the players he's acquired, a lot of them are at career crossroads. Paul DeYoung, Nicky Lopez, uh, the, both catchers, Eric Fetty, uh, some relievers. Like you know, basically everybody he acquired. You know, Michael Soroka, another guy. You know, Paul DeYoung and Michael Soroka are both like, I'm just happy to have a major league contract. I'm happy to have like a lot of playing time in front of me. That's kind of, uh, you know, they're they're you know, beggars can't be choosers. That's really the attitude they're taking. So. There is an element of this roster that, you know, can't take anything for granted the way that maybe like Tim Anderson could or Yohan Mankata could, Yasmani Grandal, Eloy Jimenez, just when they were struggling and not really going to be replaced. They had to, you know, basically the manager or the general manager was going to stick with them, whether it's because uh, afraid to make changes as Griffol seemed to be or just, you know, financially hamstrung uh, by the big contracts and not having anybody better worthy of that playing time. So like, it's going to be different in that regard. The question I have is when you have all these guys on one year deals kind of at the end of the line, we've seen what it's like when the White Sox try to import leadership or a different voice or culture, what have you, and guys don't perform and they end up not mattering. So you could have a lot of guys who are, supposed to provide something, but because they're hitting 180 on May 15th, they are basically a, a, a non-factor and, you know, they're, they've added nothing in any regard because you do have to play to a certain level to gain the respect to change things. Also like, you know, is there buy-in 
for the White Sox project overall, buy-in for the manager. And maybe that's not necessarily so important to have people buying in on Pedro Grafol, especially if you want him out. But like, uh, I think it does, as we saw with just the way they played at various dismal stretches over the course of the season, like he was not a troop rallier. So like if they get in a similar hole where everybody's kind of looking out for themselves and they know they're not going to be part of the 2025 White Sox, there is an incentive to perform individually, but is there incentive to like help other guys get better? Uh, that's kind of what I'm wondering about when it comes to this, you know, trying to cobble together a bunch of, bunch of get desperate guys and hope that the desperation fuels something. If it clicks well enough, then I think you could see that change of just like, oh, cleaner innings, less teammates pissed off with each other. Uh, teammates who understand the back of the baseball card and know that Paul DeYoung's not supposed to hit, but he's making some nice plays. He got me out of that inning. That's what he's supposed to do. Uh, I could see that kind of generating some okay vibes in place of last year's just toxicity as the word I keep coming back to. Uh, but I could see it going either way. And it, if they start with another like 10 game losing streak in April, like they did last year, I don't think there's like the internal galvanizing force that will help them get out of it necessarily. Yeah. I, I could see your point. And with so many players on one year deals, like, we're, we're kind of beating around the bush. My grade for Chris Getz and pushback if you think it's like too high, Jim. I'm giving Chris Getz a C- for his first offseason as White Sox GM. He wanted to get better defensively. I do think he's built a better defensive team. And they wanted a new culture. They wanted to bring in veterans. They've definitely done that, especially if some of these non-roster invitees are are going to make the team. But the reason why it's not higher than a C minus one, he didn't trade Dylan cease. And two, I still don't have clarity on what the long-term plan is for the white Sox and how they're going to get back into contention. And maybe that does come later in the season when he does trade Dylan cease. And when eventually we do see Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos join the white Sox, if they are healthy and they are excelling down in the minor leagues, that definitely will help with the long-term picture and and a path for the White Sox to get back to contending and playing winning baseball again. So that's why I'm giving Chris Getz a C minus. I think he could have done more as far as providing what the long-term plan is going to be for the White Sox. But the only chess piece that he has in helping that cause greatly was trading Dylan Cease and Dylan Cease is still in camp. So that's why I, I don't know. Is that too gracious of a grade a C minus? Yeah, I was. I think I'm going to give him a D. And were it not for the trades for Dominic Fletcher and Zach Deloche, I would have given him an F. Just because, you know, setting aside Dylan Cease, because like I haven't seen anything that makes me think that like he's passed up a killer deal. Um, everything that we've seen from reports is like, oh, the Yankees don't include Spencer Jones. Like, well, the White Sox have the right to ask for Spencer Jones. They might not have the right to ask for Spencer Jones and like three other top 100 prospects, but like Spencer Jones himself, that's not necessarily a non-starter. And like basically the Reds one was the one where like, it's kind of a steep ask, but also like not necessarily when it comes to like high school pitching being part of what they're acquiring. So I haven't seen anything that suggests like Getz is asking for way too much. And I'd rather see Getz hold out for a 
you know, decent deal like Rick Hahn did with Jose Quintana uh, when everybody's worried like, oh, he's carrying Quintana into the regular season. Then he ends up getting seasoned Eloy Jimenez out of it, even though Quintana had kind of a down year, or at least down first half with the White Sox. So like, that's why I'm not, I'm, I'm isolating Dylan Cease's presence from everything else because like trading Dylan Cease for an unimpressive return wouldn't really help matters either. So I'm okay with him. Like if the price is, you know, if he's asking for too much or like not lowering his price enough, like maybe his price is fine and just teams have to deal with it. So there's that. But I think just what I keep thinking is if I were GM, like, and not like, you know, hypothetically, if I had the tools and training to be GM, no, I'm talking about like if the White Sox hired me as I am with the experience I have to be GM, my offseason might look the same. Like I might only be able to persuade desperate guys to take a contract. Like I, you know, I couldn't yeah. sell anybody on opportunity. Like why would anybody listen to me? I'm going to get a Paul DeYoung because like, where's Paul DeYoung going to go? Uh, you know, I'm going to trade maybe for five Braves players who the Braves are going to cut anyway. So like, it just struck me as like, he's making moves. Any replacement level GM could make, uh, and you know, might be for the better. There is a theme behind it, yes, but there is no upside. There is no like, oh, if this trade breaks the right way, we have this position solved. There was none of that until Fletcher and Delos sh showed up, and then there was that was the first glimmer of, like, oh, these guys might be useful in 2027. Uh, you know, should the White Sox be able to unlock what they've shown in bursts? You know, Brian Bannister, I think, is another X factor. Uh, waiting to see like whether he's able to work the same magic that he was in San Francisco, where like some unimpressive pitching staffs did really well. So that's another reason why like I, I want to suspend my grade a little bit to see like, is Ken Bannister do the same things here? And we have to reset our expectations for like, oh, the White Sox can shop down market for once. But for what we know right now, it looks like, he, you know, Getz was given a mandate by Reinsdorf to cut. And so he did. And the result was that he could only sign players who could only do one thing well. And he chose defense because one, like it makes games watchable uh, more than like what the White Sox showed last year. And also defense is cheap when the defenders can't hit. So like, that's why it strikes me as replacement level GM work. Uh, and so that's why, like, I'm inclined to give it a D just because, you know, before Fletcher and Delos showed up, there was nobody who represented a long-term solution aside from like maybe Jared Schuster, which doesn't seem like it should be the case. Yeah. I see your point. I, I do see your point. They now they did outbid the New York Mets though, Jim for Eric Fetty. Like that did happen. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I mean like that's one, you know, 15 million in two years. Um, yeah, nothing. And that did show like an ability to close a deal with the Boris client. Uh, yeah. So like, yeah, that's a point in his favor. Um, it's not a but big that was point really the, to your, yeah. like to your point, it's not a big point, but it Even is something then, that only did. a two year contract. So it's not like it doesn't fit that mold of like, will he be part of the next contention window when the prospect wait, like, will he supplement uh, the prospect wave? And the answer is no. So it's like, it's good. It's interesting. I'm going to enjoy following Fetty and seeing what he does. Uh, and it will help the team or it's at least a kind of opportunity the White Sox should use to maybe help them again. Uh, you know, should this work out and should there be more compelling KBO prospects or NPB prospects down the line, but for helping this team, it's like, it's nice, but it's like the only 
it's nice move that he made all uh you know all winter before Fletcher before Fletcher you know those are the two moves where like okay finally the kind of move they should be making I think I'm going to still stick with the C minus grade because you also pointed out adding Ryan Bannister that should help adding Josh Barfield that Mm -hmm. should help there's a lot more and I think Chris Getz realized that in October that wow there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get this ship back in the right direction and then in November, and I think that's probably aiding in my grade of giving him a C minus and not dipping into the D's, is just him being very honest and transparent in how he feels about his current team. Like, we know that this is going to be a transition year. He set a game plan. He met that game plan. And I think you and I could agree that, yeah, they need to be better on defense. And wow, the White Sox set their goals on something realistic and they achieved it. Whereas the last couple of off seasons, it's like, why are they spending so much money in the bullpen? Mm -hmm. Why do they keep doing this? Why do they keep ignoring right field? Why do they keep ignoring second base? See, I'm good with, I I know my C minus is a higher grade than I gave Rick Hahn the last two off seasons where it was not very good grades at all. Mm -hmm. But for his first time around, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with my C- minus for Chris Getz. Maybe yeah. it would have been higher if he traded Dylan Cease, but I, I think you're also right, Jim. you got to keep it an asterisk because maybe he's not done adding, uh, as we have seen with the non-roster invites, and we can kind of transition to this topic. Well, b- before we do, like just one thing, you did make a good point in terms of like, at least he's not trying to sell it. So he has been tolerable, I think, in his rhetoric that – He's yeah. qualifying statements and not really trying to pump everything. You know, Pedro Grafol is, uh, but Getz is not. It kind of reminds me of like one line or or phrase that made me laugh was he described what he's trying to add as winning style baseball. Like not winning baseball, like winning style, which reminded me, I don't know if you ever saw like the, I don't know how many years ago it was, but it was Will Ferrell days of SNL where he was uh, Robert Mondavi's son opening up his own vineyard okay, and he was introducing, uh, and I looked up the transcript Oh, from 1998. He said, uh, he was offering a two liter Mountain Dew bottle filled with Shaw Mondavi's reddish style wine drink. (laughs) 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 That's what winning style baseball reminded me of. Like it's not, it's not red wine. It's reddish style wine drink. And that's kind of what it, you know, I think Chris Getz has assembled so far. And at least he's not trying to sell it as a whole lot more. What kind of wine? Are the 2024 White Sox reddish? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, as I was about to transition, because Chris Getz's work hasn't been done. I mean, he's still been busy. The White Sox have signed Mike Moustakis. And Jim, you wrote about this at SoxMachine.com. And I talked about this with James, that it does appear that Moustakis, the reason he's been signed is that if there is life in the bat, he could help out with depth at third base at first base and help out in games against tough righties where he could DH for the White Sox as again, they have struggled against top tier right-handed pitchers and Moustakis was okay. Colorado, not okay in Anaheim and John Morosi of MLB.com tweeted out as I spoke earlier, the podcast that Whit Merrifield is looking to make a final decision where he plays this upcoming weekend we keep making fun of the White Sox that they keep signing all these ex-Kansas City Royals, but by now adding Mike Moustakis, and I I did tweet this out, and I do believe that if the White Sox don't sign Whit Merrifield, that would be like a 
a minor upset. Like I'm mentally preparing Jim that Whit Merrifield. There's my big free agent signing. Uh, yeah. And I think you're going to be right. And then on Monday's podcast, we could, we could talk about and how Merrifield fits in with the white Sox, And maybe there's even more roster shuffling going on with a 26 man roster. But what do you make about these non-roster invitees and also like the veteran relievers that they have brought into camp as well to try to reshape the bullpen? Yeah. Moustakis, I saw it and I just like rolled my eyes basically of just like, uh, like and the white Sox released the news at nine Oh two PM. So even they, I think we're thinking like, Oh, let's try to minimize the amount of uh, just replies we get. Yeah. Let's, let's save our mentions the best we can and release this news as late as possible. Like not at two 30 in the morning uh, release, because that would be too obvious, maybe a little bit insulting to the player, but let's stretch the bounds of what you know, business hours are to get this done. Oh, by the way, I was just scrolling down the transcript. Uh, the red reddish flavored wine drink was tequila five alive. The little marshmallows you put in cocoa fish and seawater. So <laughs> I do think that's kind of close to the white Sox roster in that regard. But yeah, like it's Mustakis is, you know, it's you know as James wrote uh, in in a post he published uh, this evening, uh, Thursday evening, you know, it's natural for a team, especially in a new GM, to lean on the connections he had before to try to patch some roles or like, oh, I need a, I need a player this shape who does this. Uh, and Mike Moustakis happens to fit that shape, but just, you know, when everybody is a former Royal and Chris gets, you know, played with these guys, he's talking about a friend and just like gets a little, you know, we'll go from like a Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams brand of insular to like even more insular in that you're hiring friends who are playing, which is weird. You know, maybe it's like one step removed from like having friends who are coaching on the staff, which is the case with the White Sox. Not inspiring. Like I think it can be overstated just because in the case of Moustakis, I'm likening him to Hanser Alberto a little bit. Like he's another guy like former Royal Griffel was comfortable with him, but ultimately like he was just kind of a placeholder for opening day. And then they'll just that roster spot is uh, different needs arise. And I think that could be the same thing here, but yeah, just, it would be nice to have, you know, if, if you know, Chris gets like, oh, people are making too big of a deal of these former Royals ties, then like former Royal, former Royal, former Royal. And just, you know, you're kind of seeing the same thing with uh, the pitching staff with like Brian Bannister, you know, former Giants, Brebbia, Dominic Leone, who was just brought in like on an NRI. Like we are seeing Bannister lean on that, except Bannister's Giants were successful and Griffoles, Royals, and the Royals that gets was a part of. We're absolutely not. Well, we'll see if the White Sox do sign Whit Merrifield and what other non-roster invitees. I mean, they already have like 29 non-roster invitees in camp. 69 guys in nice. camp. Yep. Nice amount of people at spring training camp. And as James talked about earlier in the show, more and more of the position players will be showing up over the weekend. But before we conclude this podcast, there was some news that came down the pipe for Major League Baseball on Thursday. Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that this is going to be his last term as commissioner as his term expires in January of 2029. There is still one more CBA battle for Rob Manfred against the Players Association as the, C as the current CBA is set to expire in December 1st of 2026. And that fight is going to be a dandy ex expectations regarding streaming rights and future television broadcasting rights and of course 
the path to expansion for Major League Baseball to increase from 30 to 32 teams. And Rob Manfred will get one more opportunity to put a stamp on the game of baseball before he leaves. And Jim, now that we understand the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to Rod Manfred's time as commissioner. I guess what's left of the docket for him because a lot of rule changes, the CBA fights have been ugly under his watch. We got to participate in a lockout for major league baseball Mm -hmm. had to deal with COVID as well. But in these like last five years, what do you think is the most pressing issue revolving around Major League Baseball that Rob Manfred must address as commissioner? Broadcasting is a big one uh, just because so much or like a significant portion of franchise values uh, stemmed from the sweetheart cable deals teams got. And now that those have disappeared or, you know, the teams are going through them but won't be able to renew at the absurd rates that they got before, uh, how are they going to counteract that? How are they going to... uh, provide fans of all ages a product that they can view because like baseball, you know, their demographic is older. So you can't just go like all streaming and make it hard for like your core audience of like 55 and older to, you know, find it, you know, so you have to balance, you know, over the air versus streaming versus, you know, what's on Roku and, you know, all that sorts of, you know, fun stuff. So there's that. Um, Also Las Vegas, uh, the A's, that's a pretty big one because that's a mess right now. And that has to be settled before expansion can be brought up. And it's really unclear. You're seeing renderings for a potential White Sox ballpark in the 78. You're seeing renderings for Kansas City's proposed ballpark in the crossroads area of Kansas City, uh, which is you know still a proposal on a whole bunch of land that's currently in use has to be determined uh, and, you know, prices have to be met, I think, to buy some people, you know, off land. But I mean, like you're seeing renderings and like a vision of what they want. You have not seen renderings yet for Las Vegas, even though a hotel's coming down, land's becoming available and that's where they're supposed to build. And you have like the mayor saying, uh, the mayor of Las Vegas, who is not in charge of that strip of land on the Tropicana because it's like unincorporated, but like mayor of Las Vegas saying off the record, at least not realizing that like it was a, how the comments would sound saying like, Oh, maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. And you know, maybe this isn't a good idea. Uh, and you have the mayor of Oakland who's trying to hold his feet to the fire with regards to like having opportunity to negotiate favorable terms with a lease because they don't know where to play in between going from something like it's a mess. And when you see how big of a mess it is, you wonder why Manfred let the owners allow him to move to Las Vegas or explore it, you know, and give him the official approval because this would cast his entire judgment into doubt. Unless I saw a comment on Sox machine referencing comment, you know, said elsewhere saying, unless they just want to reveal Fisher as too incompetent to run a franchise door, maybe they can force him to sell if he really makes a mess out of this. But I don't know if the uh, owners are that smooth to set somebody up to fail. Like, I don't know if they want to do that, you know, because there are a number of bad owners in baseball. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf being one of them. And they're before the grace of God go. I, I think when it comes to like, you know, botching something like this. So that's why I'm skeptical of that line, but I don't know why the 
league and Manfred would approve such a shoddy plan otherwise, unless like they were okay with it failing for some reason. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, we'll be back on Monday as we hear from James as more talk coming from spring training camp down in Arizona as the rest of the position players will show up to camp. And, of course, continue to read at SoxMachine.com as James and Jim have been doing a fantastic job. You can catch up at Prospects Week. We also had a couple of great podcasts as well with Jim Callis and Keith Law to talk about the White Sox prospects. Great job with Keith, Jim. I thought that was a fantastic conversation. But on Friday, college baseball opening day, and that kicks off our 2024 MLB draft coverage. As you can go to SoxMachine.com, and I have the college baseball preview and my first watchboard for the 2024 Major League Baseball draft. I know it's been a lot of content, folks, and really appreciate all the comments, Jim, that we've got in the comments section about people really happy and raving so far and the quality of content that we've been putting on the site and in the podcast. And all I have to say to that is expect more because it's going to be busy, especially in the upcoming month. You know, it's been awesome having James uh, down in Arizona uh, providing first-person accounts and and the color that he provides that uh, no other beat writer does. So I really miss that during the times when, you know, after The Athletic laid him off to where, like, we get a taste of it here and there when he was uh, with the Sun-Times. But, like, it's great to have him back every day, like, providing, you know, his insights that, you know, he sees and hears that maybe other people don't. And that's great. When it comes to Patreon supporters, we're up uh, 300 since he joined. So glad that uh, people are signing up. A reminder to people who are in the two and $3 tiers, uh, we are making all content available to all previous tiers throughout the month of February to just you know show what we're doing. you get an idea of what it's like, give people time to, uh, upgrade their membership to the $5 tier, uh, you know, over the course of the months. And we realize people are getting back into baseball at different times and might have missed out on James joining us. But if you are in the two and $3 tiers and you like what we're doing, I recommend, uh, upgrading to the $5 tiers just because, uh, probably by opening day, if not before, that's when we'll start, uh, you know, making the Patreon content, $5 and up. So hopefully we're proving our worth by doing so like the, in, early returns and the response has made me think like, I think this might be able to work, but it will take uh, support to keep doing it. And hopefully uh, we'll keep providing the proof of concept that uh, we are providing like a White Sox resource like no other. You can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast, especially if this is the first time you're listening to the show, wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music, subscribe to our YouTube channel and YouTube.com slash Sox Machine to watch our videos. And you can follow us on social media at Sox Machine wherever you have a social media platform. And you can follow me there as well at Sox Machine underscore Josh. As Jim mentioned, you can help support us by signing up at Patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're up for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis and James Fegan, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.